Ecclesiastes chapter number one. And um, I will try my best to make quick work of something that I truly could talk about all night long. This is absolutely one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. I have found a lot of encouragement alert, uh, uh, found a lot of uh, encouragement over the years by reading Ecclesiastes. By the time I'm finished reading chapter one, y'all will be thinking, you get encouragement from that? Let me go ahead and tell you, yes, I do. It encourages me a great deal. Spoiler alert about the whole book of Ecclesiastes. The whole message is wrapped up in these few words, the entire book. Life is meaningless. Everything is meaningless without Jesus. That's, that's the whole book. Everything is meaningless without Jesus. And you actually, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, you don't, even, you, don't even, you don't even understand where life is going, where this world is going without Jesus. Without Jesus, not only is it all meaningless, it just doesn't even make sense. And you don't even have a good frame of reference. So if you would, join me in um, Ecclesiastes chapter number 1. I'm going to read the whole first chapter. Um, it sounds kind of long, but it's worth it. And if you're a fan of Winnie the Pooh, just try to imagine me reading this in the voice of Eeyore. By the time I'm done, you'll be so depressed that you'll be praying that God revive your soul and the whole service will turn around. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse number 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eyes not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been In the ages before us, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, And behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Father, as we open this word, open our minds to understand. Open our hearts to love Jesus more. And God, where we are tempted to despair, 
turn our eyes toward heaven that we might find a hope that is higher than the things of this earth. In Jesus we pray, amen and amen. Let me say up front that we unashamedly are following an outline given to us by Dr. Danny Aiken. It's an incredible outline and, uh, and uh, so good, in fact, we just are going to follow it without, without apology. Let, let, let's talk for a moment about this word hebel. When you see vanity of vanities or vanity, the word in Hebrew is hebel. I want to walk you guys through a little exercise, and let's see if you can, you can figure this out and play along with me. Everywhere in the next few verses where you see a yellow word, I want you, when I get to that part, instead of saying that word, I want you to say hebel. Are you ready? For example, let's take a look at Psalm 39, verses 5 and 6. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere pebble, vanity, breath, nothing, meaninglessness. Verse 6, surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Verse 11, when you, dis- when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is mere. Look at Psalm 144, verses 3 and 4. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a, his days are like a passing shadow. I could do this all day. Let me, let me see if I can throw up an illustration for you. This is all the places, or all the ways in English, the Hebrew word hebel is used. Just, just look at all those counts right there. There's easily uh, over 40. Breath, delusion, emptily, emptiness, fleeting, fraud, futile, futility, idols, mere breath, nothing, useless, vain, vainly, vanity, vanity of vanities, vapor, worthless. Over and over and over and over again, you just see this word through the Scriptures. It's not just in the book of Ecclesiastes, but it's certainly prominent in the book of Ecclesiastes. As Casey was talking to me in between services, you might say that Ecclesiastes could be called a book of idolatry because it's showing us how we can go after so many things in life and establish those things and those activities and those habits and those attitudes as idols and put all of our focus on those idols. And the writer of Ecclesiastes would call those things what? Hebel, vain, empty, meaningless, nothing, futile. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know how it got started, but at the warehouse a few years ago, we went through like a two-year stage where, where everybody wanted to arm wrestle me. You know, and I'm kind of fat and really good looking. Um, I, I, I didn't feel affirmed right there. I don't but I'm also bull strong, and like, you know, it made sense. It made sense when, when some of these football players would come up and arm wrestle me. And I, honestly, I stayed undefeated for years. Just, uh, I'm talking about big dudes, dudes who went off and played at colleges would come up and arm wrestle me, and I'd lay them down. And uh, what cracked me up is, is how these totally confident middle schoolers would also walk up to me. You know, I'm talking, you know, whose legs were the size of my wrists. And they'd just be dead serious. My turn. And I would literally look at them and go, anybody know? Hebel. 
thank you, thank you. And they, they have a clue what I was saying. I, they said, my turn, I go, Hebel, okay, come on. It's a tough way to learn for futility, but it's also a safe space to do it. Most of us don't learn Hebel that way. We learn Hebel by falling on our face, failing, working our butts off and waking up just as empty as a dry jug. And we know Hebel by blood-bought, sweat-endured difficulty. Would be that middle schoolers could wrestle good-looking fat dudes and learn Hebel and, and see it how it works in every area of life. But we don't, and neither does the writer of Ecclesiastes, and neither does the scope of Scripture, because it accurately shows how man just goes after this and that and the other, thinking it's going to satisfy, and it never does. And we could rightly get to the end of our rope on most any given week and just shout into the emptiness. Hebel, hebel, hebel. Here's one that might trick you up, trip you up. Look at Proverbs 31.30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is hebel. But how much time do so many of our ladies give to it? You know, everybody looks like dust in the end. Even if you put makeup on it, it's just dust. Hmm. You ever worked on a classic car? At the end of time, you can park it beside a gremlin, and guess what both of them will be? Hebel. David, you're fast tonight. Your house can be the size of my house, which is, I don't know how big it is. I think 1,400 square feet. Or it can be 5,000 square feet, but guess what at the end of time what both will be? Hebel. I have a stainless steel wedding ring. I think I paid four ninety nine for it at a beach shop somewhere uh, out on the Outer Banks. Bet you someone in here has a $1,500 or $2,000 wedding ring on, and at the end of time, they're both going to be what? You win an Olympic medal. I got a participation trophy for field day in kindergarten. End of time, what are they? Hebel. You're catching on, right? One commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes just named itself, or the author named it, So Why Bother? What a great name for the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything is, either one works, brother, really. Meaningless, futile, hebel. So the writer of this commentary, and and it's not a great commentary, it just has a great title, So Why Bother? (laughs) Right? If everything is meaningless, let's just... Let's just give up and quit. I used to date a girl, and whenever I upset her, she, would, she had this certain little song she started singing to me to try to make me behave the way she wanted me to behave. And uh, my wife will tell you, after 27 years, that just doesn't work. But she would say, this is what she would sing. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Nobody knows my name. If I were dating her today, I would turn and say, because it was futile to reach out to me like that. <laughs> I like how David Gibson summed up the value of the book of Ecclesiastes. He said this, wisdom, wisdom literature asks, what does it mean to fear the Lord in the world he has made? Along with Job, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes is a meditation on what it means to be alive in a world that God has made and called good 
yet which has also gone very wrong, often in catastrophic ways. That's a brilliant summation. We're just down here going, what happened? And why does it hurt so bad? Or perhaps how Philip G. Ryken summed up the emotional usefulness of the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, by being honest about life's troubles, Ecclesiastes touches the heart of people who struggle. Let's see if we can get honest in here tonight. Does anybody struggle? Ecclesiastes is for you. Or maybe Stephen Crane's 1895 poem. You might recognize that name, all of you guys. If you went to public school, you had to read Red Badge of Courage at some point. Stephen Crane also wrote a lot of poems. This is a short poem by Stephen Crane. Just listen to how poignant this is. I saw a man pursuing the horizon. Round and round they sped. I was disturbed at this. I accosted the man. It is futile, I said. You can never, you lie, he cried, and ran on. Ecclesiastes shows us the weariness of our existence so that we will not expect to find meaning on our own. We cannot expect to find satisfaction by our own resources. You find a man in Ecclesiastes who bravely says that he has pursued all the money, all the sex, all the power, and all the achievement that wealth and prestige could ever afford a man, and he has found it utterly worthless. What do we need to do? We need to bring God back in. Bring God back in under the sun with us so that everything that seems meaningless will suddenly be given the eternal perspective that we need to appreciate and enjoy it. Spoiler alert again, the book of Ecclesiastes says, if you don't bring him in, all this means nothing. So let me give you guys three quick points and a couple of applications. And then let's go raid some Mexican restaurants. Number one, number one. Everything is meaningless because all of our activity is pointless. Now, let me say that again in a different way. Under the sun, without God, everything is meaningless because all of our activity is pointless. In verses 4 through 11 or 3 through 11, this is exactly how the writer explains it. He goes, and if you'll allow me to put it in country boy terms, he goes, hey, y'all, just take a look at the days. Every day the sun comes up, every day the sun goes down. What's changed? Take a look at the sea levels. Water falls from the sky, comes down a hill, goes in a ditch, goes in a creek, creek, creek goes into a river, river goes into another river, winds up in the ocean. The ocean doesn't get it any fuller or any higher. Excuse me, any lower or any higher. Most of us from North Carolina, South Carolina, usually make a trek to the ocean every year, at least once. It's just sort of a rite of passing for us. You ever notice how the ocean's always the same level? The rite of Ecclesiastes noticed it too. He said, look at the wind. It's always blowing around and around and around. And he makes this not-so-subtle point to say, we're like that. We do the same old mess all the time, and it never really accomplishes anything. If you, if you read this long enough, you start to hear it in the voice of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, don't you? I like to read some of these verses like Eeyore. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. 
nor the ear filled with hearing, oh me. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done, oh my. Exactly, though. Exactly. And what the writer will go on to do over the course of many chapters that are worthy of our attention is he'll say, go build it. And if you build it without God, it won't mean anything. Go do it. And if you do it without God, you'll never have done anything. Go chase after it. And if you catch it without God, you'll have it and it'll never mean anything. It will be pointless. Secondly, everything is meaningless because nothing satisfied. Now let me, let me restate that in a different way. Under the sun, without God, everything is meaningless because nothing satisfies. That's what he goes on to say in verses 12 through 18. And again, I can just hear Eeyore in here, especially in that part. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be business, to be busy with. Oh, hum. It's almost like we're Adam back in the garden being questioned by God. And we say to him, we're so bored because this mess you gave us. And God would say back to us, it's only boring because you're boring. And you're boring because you've departed from me. So the book is kind of sad. Before we plunge towards some hopeful endings, let me read another passage to you guys. This comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And yes, I know I've said it multiple times. I'm going to say it again. Spoiler alert. Every time we go into a passage in Ecclesiastes, every time you do it in your home study, uh, I suggest you also always read at the end. <laughs> Let some perspective come into some of these very sad moments. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I love it. Uh, before, before the 4 o'clock service, A. Nallen walked up to me and he says, hey, I've been reading this. And I noticed, I was, he said, I've been reading in the, in the NIV. He said, I noticed instead of saying vanity, it says meaninglessness. It truly just touched my heart. Aiden is 16 years old. He's investigating the scriptures. It came alive to him, not because he saw vanities. It came alive to him because he says meaninglessness. Hmm. He thought that was really interesting. Aiden come to the rightful conclusion with the, with the help of the Holy Spirit that life under the sun without God is meaningless. It just don't matter. But we need some hope before we leave. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness to the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Point number three, everything is meaningless because our frustration is meant to drive us to Christ. Let me say that again. Under the sun, 
under the sun, all of our frustration is meant to drive us to Christ. What are you frustrated about today? I don't know. I could give you my own list. Some of you guys are frustrated about family situations. Some of you guys are frustrated about monetary situations. Some of you guys are frustrated about situations going on with your work. Some of you guys are frustrated by situations going on with your health. A lot of us are frustrated by personal things. Some of you guys, if you're anything like me, every time you hear the news, there's tons of things to be frustrated by. I'm frustrated by everybody's flesh-laden reactions to everything going on. Tear down a statue, create a protest, politician arguing, politician arguing, racial tension, off the, out, off the charts racial tension. And I don't know if I'm more upset by the, in, the real injustices we're facing or how silly we are in addressing the injustices. I'm frustrated. And if I only look at this as Humpty Dumpty Bows, that's my new name, Humpty Dumpty Bows. If I only look at this as Humpty Dumpty Bows, if I only apply all of the strength that Tim can wield, if I only look at it with all the thinking Tim can muster, if I only come at it with all the resources that are at my fingertips, then I'm just like Humpty Dumpty off the wall. I'm busted and broken, and I cannot do a single thing to fix it. And I'm frustrated. But under the sun, my frustrations are meant to drive me to Christ. And that's what Solomon's message is to us today. What are you frustrated by? And are you allowing it to push you to Christ? That's what God wants for you, brothers and sisters, to push you to Christ. He doesn't want you to attack it with just your wisdom, just your strength. He wants you to have a transcendent view, to seek his vision of things and to get his power for things. I see time is quickly waxing away. Let me, let me share a story. Let me share with you guys the, the 15, 30, 45, 60. That's a long title, but it's worth it. The 15, 30, 45, 60 counsel of my grandfather, my dad's dad. My grandfather, excuse me, my, one of my older brothers was about 15, and that would have made me, he's seven years older than me, so that would have made me about eight. And he had gotten in some trouble, and we were over at my grandfather's shop. He was working on a, on a tractor tire. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He was changing a tractor tire, no machinery, you something, we just, you know, we call it a banger. He would slide it up and down and knock this huge rubber tire off of this big rim. And the whole time he's talking to us, there's three things he never stops doing. He never stops whacking, he never stops chewing tobacco, and he never stops talking. So it's, the whole time, it's just like a hammer ringing. Ring, whack. It says it's got a ring to it. Ring, whack, ring. He tells my brother, he says, he says, you know, boy, when I was 15 years old, I thought I knew everything. Whack. Whack. When I was 30, I started to have a couple questions. Whack. Whack. Never looks up. He's trying to get this tire off of this rim. Whack. When I was 45, I was starting to wonder, did I not know some things? Whack. Whack. He stops, he looks right at my brother and says, at 60, I know I don't know a thing in this world. He says, 
why don't you don't wait till you 60 and go ahead and let me tell you you don't know nothing right now. You find any older man and ask him what he could do, what he would do if he could go back and talk to his younger self. And if he doesn't cry, he will laugh. If he doesn't cry, he will laugh. Boy, the things we would tell ourselves if we could go back and tell ourselves, wouldn't we? And if you're not old enough to say that yet, you'll get there. Just keep breathing. That's what Solomon is trying to tell us. He is saying, don't go try everything and wind up meaningless and empty. Don't go do everything and wind up meaningless and empty. Don't live life without God only to discover that life without God is pointless. It's breathing without ever living. Don't you, don't you think that if somebody could go back and talk to young Solomon, they could have talked some sense into him? Nope. You want literary proof? First Chronicles 28, verses 9 and 10. This is King David talking to young Solomon. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Friends, here is the non-secret secret in life. You ready? Under the sun, without God, it's all meaningless. But under the sun, with God, even the smallest things have eternal value. Now, I didn't tell us in the 4 o'clock service because I, I didn't want to, you know, point somebody out and embarrass them. But the other day, we were walking down the sidewalk in Edenton, North Carolina. And uh, the girls are usually ahead of me, but Rachel had somehow gotten behind me. And I'm, I'm just dad enough that I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, why is this, you know, where's she at? She had saw, seen some litter that we didn't see, and she didn't drop the litter. She doesn't live in the town, but she picked it up. My heart just swelled. I've taught them. I've tried to teach my kids that if you walk with Jesus, every small thing matters because he's a God of order and a God of goodness. And I knew that my daughter was picking that litter up because it mattered because she was walking with Jesus. She can't clean up the whole world, but she can walk with Jesus and pick up a handful of trash. And this, this is the missing element in America. It's why we keep chaining ourselves to distraction and hope they pull us into satisfaction. You'll never watch enough Netflix. You'll never make your house or your yard fancy enough. You'll never do enough hobbies. None of those things will ever satisfy, and they will always be pointless if you do them without God. But every little thing done with God will be of eternal value and great joy. Brothers and sisters, what parts of your life are you leaving God out of right now? It's not for me to answer that for you guys. I'm wrestling with the areas I'm leaving them out. Let me give you this application very quickly. If you could think of every moment of your time as a brick... Ask yourself, would you be a builder, a basher, or a bum? Would you be an architect, an anarchist, 
or just apathetic. See, here's the difference, and I, I, man, I, I'll tell you guys a little secret. I deleted 17 slides about 20 minutes, 30, 40 minutes before the first service because I want to get into this. I want to get into the fact that if you're walking with Jesus, every little thing matters. And you can be building the kingdom, building others up, building, uh, you know, working with God to let him build you into the image of Jesus, or you can be tearing the world down, tearing others down, and tearing yourself down, or you can just not care. And the difference is who is abiding in Christ. In John 15, it says, Abide in me, for apart from me you'll do what? Nothing. It's not that you'll do nothing. It's, it'll amount to, thank you. Who got that? It was Michael that time, wasn't it? Hebel. It's not that you'll do nothing. It's what you do will be. But if you abide, everything matters. If you don't, nothing does. If you abide, everything matters. I'll tell you the encouragement my heart needed was Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I always am encouraged to face my frustrations by remembering the wise words of Dr. Aiken. My frustrations are meant to drive me to Christ. And when they drive me to Christ, Christ is willing to receive me. What are you frustrated about? What are you leaving God out of? Are you building in this world? Or are you just tearing stuff up? Are you just biding your time? You know, in a few moments we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. We've been doing that in all these abbreviated services because when you try to pack so much in so fast, you need to stop and remember why we're here together. What do we share in common? What's most important? But you don't treasure Jesus at the Lord's Supper if you don't know Jesus before the Lord's Supper. You know? I don't miss my grandma's cooking. I don't. You know what I really miss? My grandma. Sometimes I think it's her cooking I miss. But if I have her, I get the cooking. See, some of us, the stuff of the Lord is just sentimentality. And what God wants is God wants you to enjoy him so that whatever else you're doing, it'll be good. So do you know him today? Do you treasure him today? You know, do you treasure him? In our little town, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say, you know, our friends visit from South Carolina, you may not know this, but a little over a week ago, we had one of those officer-involved shootings. Shot a guy in the line of duty, and, and the guy died. And uh, all during the week, there's been unrest and people upset. The dash cam has been released. There's been protesters coming to our town. It's been very upsetting. Our little town has become the center of attention in ways we never wanted it to be. We planned to preach to Ecclesiastes weeks ago, but, man, it's hitting home for me now. And this is what I know. This is what I know. The only hope for my little town, the only hope for our little church is that we're focused on Jesus because all of this is meaningless without him. Do you know him today? Father, thank you for a chance to gather, to be in your word. Now as we turn our hearts and minds toward the Lord's Supper, encourage us 
encourage us. Put us at the foot of the cross, set us at the mouth of the empty tomb, and leave us gazing at the, at the horizon waiting for our Savior to return. Thank you, God, for a chance to be together. In Jesus I pray, amen.